Hey there, and welcome to the Girl Tries Life podcast, where we give you tangible, actionable tips to achieve your dreams and live your best life. I'm your host, Victoria Smith, and you're listening to episode number 22. In today's episode, we're talking to Stephanie Pollock. Stephanie is a leadership coach for mission-driven women in business. She's the host of the Beyond Pro podcast, Leadership Insights for Women in Business, and the publisher of the Going Pro magazine. A writer, speaker, and idea champion, Stephanie works to help women step into leadership roles and claim the influence and the impact that they so deeply deserve. She's been selected as a top 40 under 40 changemaker and is a sought-after speaker and has been recognized by the Governor General for her leadership prowess. It's pretty amazing. She's a coffee junkie, tech lover, and foodie. You can find her at stephaniepollock.com or on Twitter at Steph underscore Pollock. Stephanie and I had such a good time talking during the interview. We talked about her top advice for launching your business, what skills to master in our changing economy, productivity tips, and more. Without further ado, let's head over to the interview. So thank you very much, Stephanie, for joining us on the Girl Tries Life podcast. We are very excited to have you. Well, thanks for having me. So talk to us a little bit about what a business and a leadership coach does. Sure, no problem. So in my mind, a business coach is essentially, it's very commonplace in the space of entrepreneurs. And and the role of a business coach is really to help guide and navigate this new territory of an, you know, that an entrepreneur is exploring around starting a business or growing a business or pivoting to a new business. The reason I added the leadership component into it is because I realized through my years working with entrepreneurs that there comes a point where they really have to step up and actually lead the business. That being a technician of their business, so whether they're a coach or a graphic designer or a website designer or a consultant or whatever the actual role is, the craft that they are really good at and for the reason they started the business, you know, that only takes them so far. And then eventually they have to step into a role where they can really lead the business. So that's looking at everything from hiring people to looking at growth plans to understanding where they should be focusing their energy and where they shouldn't. And so this, in my mind, entrepreneurship really is a blend of both learning the mechanics of business and then also learning how to truly be a leader in the business. That's great. And do you find that some of your clients have a a pre-existing notion of what a leader is versus a manager or a CEO? Because I find them very different. Yeah, I think the word leadership or leader uh, can trip up a lot of people, uh, especially in the entrepreneurial space, because they, you know, I see this time and time again, where they just don't consider themselves leaders. I think we have the, a little bit of an old fashioned notion of what a leader is. It's that kind of the the, the white 60 year old plus man sitting in the in the C-suite in the corner office, um, or it's the leader that's leading hundreds of people forward. And, you know, those two things are examples of leadership, but leadership is a much more broad term in my mind, which is just really about stepping into an ownership role. So if, if you are, let's say, a graphic designer and you start a business and you're really good at actually designing, well, that's going to get you so far, right? And that's where a lot of entrepreneurs go. Then what happens is they hit a plateau because they can't go beyond that because they are thinking and operating and managing the business like a graphic designer, not like a business owner. And so, yeah, for sure, there are misconceptions around that and there are pre-existing notions around that. And and that's part of my role is to bust that a little bit and help them see, hey, listen, if you want to take this thing where you say you want to take it, you're going to have to have a mindset shift about actually showing up as the CEO of your business rather than as 
as the the doer of your business, for lack of a better term. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I've done a lot of reading and uh, Simon Sinek is someone I absolutely adore and the great leaders eat last. And yeah, no, I love his view of leadership and and being but being able to meld people's technical skills to be able to lead their business is, I think, fabulous. Yeah. And they also have to, you know, to Simon Sinek's point, they they also have to bring people along yeah. uh, toward a toward a vision. Right. And and to set that vision. And a lot of entrepreneurs, they start about they start a business, especially the kind I work with, which are tend to be solopreneurs or smaller businesses. So they're not, you know, they're not starting necessarily empires or have, you know, high, heavy product loads. These are these are business owners that are starting one person shops or they are building small teams. Um and they started that for a variety of reasons. Sometimes it's, you know, a, a personal lifestyle decision. Sometimes it's about um, personal expression. Sometimes it's about seeing a need in the marketplace or it's a combination of all of those things. But at some stage, they have to get to a place where they can bring people along with that vision. And a lot of them don't know how to even set a vision. They just kind of show up. They offer their services or their solutions and haven't really thought about the bigger picture of where they're taking the business. And that's part of what the leadership piece is as well. And I think that's true for so many businesses as well. They have their vision on paper, but they're not necessarily actually living it or working towards it. So I think it's such a key component to have a successful business. Absolutely. I mean, you really have to be, you have to know what you value as a business and and how you're going to make decisions from that place. That's the kind of work I do a lot with clients is, you know, what are the core values of the company and what does it look like to actually operate in alignment with those values? Because like you said, it's one thing to have, I mean, we've, we've all seen it in the companies, the bigger companies where it's, you know, mission, vision, values. And then, you know, at least I've been in the experience where I've worked in a company and saying like, but you don't actually really do yeah. that, right? And so as business owners, you are going to get much more traction if there's an alignment between what you say is important and what you actually do. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. So what do you find is the sweet spot for helping your clients? Do they come to you at the very beginning or do they have to be in a certain mind frame to make the most out of your services? That has changed over the years. In the beginning of my business, I worked primarily with new business owners. Uh, so people that were either starting something on the side while they were still working full time or whether they were, you know, in year one or those that were probably in year three to five and just could not get the traction they were looking for. So that's where it started. And I still have those types of clients as well. Uh, but now moving forward, I've, I am spending more time with those business owners who are already successful in their business. So they, they're they well over the six-figure, sometimes the seven-figure mark. Uh, but they are, they've hit a plateau. Uh, sometimes that's a revenue plateau. Sometimes that's a, a, a capacity plateau. Sometimes that's like a personal plateau. Like I am burnt out and maxed out and I can't keep going. Um, and sometimes that's just about navigating the idea of what got you here won't get you there. So they know that the skills and the tools and the capacities and the mindsets they had that got them to this point aren't going to be what's required to get to them to the next phase of growth. And that's really more about the personal leadership piece and really looking at how do you need to show up? How does your business need to operate uh, now versus how it did before? Because otherwise you're just going to kind of stay there. So that's now who I tend to work with. Well, and it's also great because I there isn't a template for how to run a successful business. I was listening to your podcast this morning at the gym, actually, of what um, what works for her doesn't necessarily work yeah. for me. But I think so many of us, you know, we read the books, we see, listen to the podcast, and we think, well, that's the road path to that version of success. But it really isn't always the case. 
It rarely is yeah, the case. Yeah, rarely. Yeah, absolutely. I, mean, I think it is important to learn and look to people who have gone before you uh, to to be able to glean some insights. But I think it's more about principles. You know, looking at what are what are the core principles at play and using those and adapting those to your own work, as opposed to saying, "Well, she did that, so I should probably do that." That that rarely rarely works because it isn't coming from a place that's aligned to the business and and the whole ecosystem of your business. It's just looking at one piece of somebody else's business and and making a decision that well, if that works for her, it must work for me. And every single time I've seen a client do that, um, and I've done that too, it has fallen flat. It just doesn't work. And I but I think that's somewhere we tend to go when we're less experienced in something sure. or younger in something. I feel like the older I get, the better <laughs> I get at uh, realizing that that's different. But then you start a new challenge and all those insecurities can come back. It's yeah, I it's mean, I, I have I have often said that I mean, I'm I'm the parent of two young kids. And I have often said that parenting and starting a business are the two greatest personal growth opportunities I have ever had in my life. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I actually did them simultaneously, which was crazy. But yeah, you it's constantly about a mindset that you have to, you know, be checking in with to really navigate because it's all uncertain. It's it's not uh, it's not laid out for you the way it is if you work in a full time job. And there are other people that are setting the vision and you're following it. This is this is up to you, right? Yeah. And that's that ownership piece. And it, in the beginning stages, yeah, you're going to try a lot of different things. You're going to try on other people's things as you go to try and find your own voice and your own way of doing things. And that's really normal. But if you stay there, uh, that's where things start to, you know, limit your capacity for growth and success. So what is your top piece of advice for women who are wanting to start their own businesses? Mm. Can I give you a couple? Absolutely. Is that okay? <laughs> okay. So my top three, just right out of the gate, are to do an inventory of your skills and your assets. So really understanding what do you bring to the business and, and leveraging those. I have seen, and I've fallen into it as well, I think it's a pretty commonplace thing that uh, we we think we have to try and get a whole bunch of new things or try you know try and find grow our strength or grow our weaknesses when really we are going to have much more success if we operate from our strengths so what are those capacities and skills and strengths that you already have and how can you leverage them in the business that is such a good place to start from you're going to pivot and change and experiment a million times over but if you always come back to what's important to you and what you're really good at you're going to do you're going to do much better um, the second one is to focus on a problem, not a solution. So a lot of business owners kind of fall in love with their ideas. Uh, they have a great solution. They have something they think is going to, you know, make a huge mark, but they aren't really attuned to what actu- what the actual problem is they're trying to solve. They're just more focused on the actual solution. Uh, and that really limits your capacity to grow because you aren't attuned to what the market actually needs and the way that people are talking about the challenges. So understanding your target audience's problem in a really in-depth, deep way that you can get to the heart of is going to really be able to position you more uh, more effectively in the marketplace than just trying to trying to promote a solution. And then the third one we've already touched on it is just really about learning how to be a business owner uh, and taking that seriously rather than kind of just being really good at, at your thing. I mean, unless you want to have um, more of a freelance type of model where it's not like you're building a company, you're just offering your services on a freelance basis, and that's totally fine. But if you're trying to build a business, you have to think like an owner. Yeah. 
No, for sure. And it's interesting. I was thinking back your first point about knowing your skills and your assets. I'm just reading Pivot right now by Jenny yeah, Blake. Yeah. And she says exactly that thing about planting and knowing yeah. what your core skills are, which I think we so rarely do. Yeah, it is just so important. I mean, it seems like one of those kind of soft things, but it actually is such a, an important part of growing an effective business. Because the other thing, too, is I have seen business owners who have worked against their strengths and just um, gone out and built something. And it's fine for a little while. And then they hate it because it doesn't have anything to do with their core set of skills. And, and so they don't like the business anymore and that's, and then they want to change it and then they want to get back to what is actually important to them. So if you can start from that place, you're going to, you're going to feel a lot better about your business down the road. So why are they doing that? Why are they like, why are they putting themselves in those uncomfortable positions? Fear. Fear. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A lot of it is just, you know, I, I see something that's where in the early stages of business, right? You see somebody else doing something. You think maybe you should be doing that too. So you go in a direction that seems like the quote, you know, I'm air quoting here, right decision um, or the prosperous uh, path to take, but you haven't really checked in to say, is this in alignment with who I am and what I can bring? Yeah. Um, because, because you just want to make something work. And I get that. That's part of the iterative process of entrepreneurship. But if you do a, a, a sweep and an inventory of where your strengths, where your values, where your assets, what resources you have um, really lie, you can, you, can, you can get a head start in your business. That's great. I think one of the things that entrepreneurs and many other people struggle with is that we have so many projects or ideas that we think would be a great business idea. So, so what's your advice for helping women hone in on the best idea? Is that the idea that's most financially viable? Is it on your skill sets, like you were saying? Yeah. So uh, first, a caveat. I want to say that as it relates to this, entrepreneurship is is essentially one big laboratory. So you are always experimenting. So I, I have always said to clients that are in early stages of their business development, I will always, always say to them, what this business looks like today is not going to be what it's going to look like six months or a year from now. I promise you. So it is just, it, I've never seen a business start from one place and a year later, it looks the same, just bigger. There are so many pivots and iterations along the way as you start to, you know, gather more market information, as you start to do the work and say, oh, I like this. Oh, I don't like this. So it, you know, I just want to say that it's, that's a part of the process. Now, in terms of how do you actually decide what to go after, I think, you know, to my point earlier, for sure, you're going to do an inventory of what your skills are, you know, and, and that's going to weed out some of those ideas. Because let's say you have an idea for X and then you do a sweep of what what available assets and, and strengths you have to bring to that and it's low. Well, it's probably not the right one to start, right? Because you're not operating from a place of strength. Um, so that that certainly comes into it. But I think more than anything, it's about having a seed of an idea and then testing it in the marketplace. One of the areas where I see entrepreneurs struggle is they they have an idea, they kind of go into their bat cave, they start working on it, they don't talk to anybody about it. And then they hope they're going to just put it out into the marketplace and everybody's going to want it. And it rarely, unfortunately, works like that. I wish it did. So it really is about getting out there and talking to people. So if you have, um, you know, a specific group in mind that you want to focus your business toward or your services toward, go talk to those people, 
right? Really go talk to those people. And you aren't giving them your whole spiel about what your business does. You are asking them pointed questions about what they're fa- what challenges they're facing. How does that show up? What are the what's the implication of that? Like what's the cost and the impact of those challenges? What have they done to try and solve those challenges before? Um, what gets in the way of them? Challenge, uh, you know solving it. And that information, that is your goal to be able to decide, first of all, is there a viable market here? Have they said anything that is in relationship to the type of uh, business I want to run? So that's a little bit of a test. Two, assuming that yes, there is some viability there, then what you're doing is you're gleaning the language and the way that they are talking about the problem, not the way you talk about the problem, but the way they talk about the problem. And you use that information to then reflect back when you go go out into the marketplace. So, you know, whenever I am coming up with a new product or a program idea, or in the early stages of my business, I would um, go out and talk to people that I thought really fit the the ideal buyer for that particular offer or whatever it was. And I would talk to them about it and I would take copious notes or I would record the calls and I would extract the exact language that they used to explain the challenges they were facing around that. And that would help me decide, okay, well, you know what? I thought we were going in this direction, but they all seem to say this. So, you know, I got to turn this a little bit and focus it more here. And that is how you really test for viability. No, I think that's fantastic. Experimentation really makes an impact in that sense. Totally. And I think also people are just worried about letting go of an idea that they're really interested in. Like, I know I've had a number of business ideas and it's, but I actually felt really good about passing one on to someone else because I knew it was not in my core strengths, but I still thought it was a fantastic idea. So I wanted to see someone bring it to life. I think... I think when you've got too many things knocking at your door, sometimes that fear of letting go is a problem. Yeah, the the problem with that, though, I mean, that is the entrepreneurial curse in many yeah. ways because we are ideas people by nature. I mean, the amount of ideas I have on any given day, I don't have the time to execute on all those yeah. ideas. You have one right? lifetime. Exactly. So I have to make, we all have to make really, um, have to use discernment to decide which ones we're going to pursue and which ones we're going to park. And so for me, you know, like to your point, sometimes you give it to somebody else and say, you know what, somebody needs to do something with this. Other times it's just about putting that in a notebook and saying like, okay, it's here. I can come back to it if I want. It's not gone forever, but it's not where I need to focus right now. And that, that is, that is the work of an entrepreneur of any of us, right. Who are trying to do creative work in the world. That's a really important skill to master. Otherwise you're going to have a whole bunch of starts and not a lot of finishes. Yeah. This is a complete aside question that we didn't talk about in advance, but have you ever coached anyone for a Dragon's Den pitch? <laughs> I haven't actually. Okay. I haven't. No. I but, was just uh, curious. I, I wonder how many people actually do the salt. I mean, some people you can tell do the solid prep, but... Um, I'm curious. Yeah. No, and, and you know, part of that is because that show tends to bring on people who who have created products, and I tend to offer more of my services for service-based businesses. Okay. Uh, it just tends to be the way it works out. So I haven't worked with a ton of product-based businesses, and that's where you know that's where the Dragon's Den tends to um, focus their attention. But yeah, no, some of them, I mean, it's amazing to me, the lack of preparation that they've done or thinking they've done yeah. versus others who really just have it nailed down. Yeah, though the producers are really happy to have those epic oh, fails as well. <laughs> Makes for yeah, great I mean, TV. 
Yeah, that's all the t- TV part, right? <laughs> yeah. So I was reading your blog the other day, and I came across an article where you talk about how business is personal. And I have always believed this. But you had talked, like, what's your advice for how women can put their personality and their passion into the business without having that negative effect of them taking it far too seriously or, you know, it draining on them? Yeah, it's it's a really important topic, and it, it especially for um, small business owners who who the CEO is kind of the face of the brand. But but I mean, to be honest, this trans you know translates across types of business. You know, part of it is about um, business is personal, right? You, you know, I run my business; it's branded under me. It it carries the weight of me and what's important to me and my values, and and I reflect that out into the business. And trying to completely compartmentalize those things would be impossible. I just couldn't do it. But the risk, as I talked about in that blog post, is that you get so intertwined with the business that then a challenge on the business front or something that doesn't work business-wise means that you, the person, are a failure, right? Um, business you know, as a whole, like if we're talking small business, if we're talking big big business, there are always failures in business. That is that is part of the process. That is how we learn. That's how we adapt. That's how we we change and grow. That is just kind of commonplace. And the big businesses are okay with that. They they test things. Some work. Some don't work. When we are so connected and intertwined with the business, we can make that be about us. And I think that's dangerous because what that does is it uh, erodes our own sense of confidence and effectiveness. And then that mindset. And all those limiting beliefs and the fears get in the way of us actually being able to produce and do well in the business. So it has kind of like a um, a ripple effect, right? Where it's you know we're we're really going into fear mode because we've taken on too much of the business's successes and failures, and then we can't actually be effective in the business. So you know it really is about kind of separating those two a little bit, knowing that yeah, I mean your business is your baby, right? For many of us, but at the same time we can't get so intertwined in it. We have to be able to say like the business business is its own separate entity. And what works with it and what doesn't work with that isn't about me personally. And that's a really tricky, you know, balance to walk. But we just have to be mindful of that. Um, and then I also think, you know, to your other point about personality is that businesses at the, at the core are about people. It's people serving people. So bringing your personality uh, to the business is really effective as a way to get uh, to grow an audience, to get uh, receptivity to your to your business, because people like people, right? And so, if it's really stark and dry and, and, and you know with no personality, people aren't as connected to that. So we have to bring some of that to the table, and that's where often we can bring something that's unique that somebody else in the marketplace isn't offering. Um, and we all have to decide where along the continuum of that we're going to be willing to play. I mean, I know business owners who are willing to share anything and everything about their lives inside of their business and then others that share nothing. So everybody gets to decide where their line is. Um, but it is, but it is a tool that you can use to, uh, to grow an audience and get, um, more interest in your business activities for sure. It's that personal branding piece. Absolutely. So I've been reading a lot about the change in economy and the types of jobs in the future. So we're already seeing fewer people stay with companies for a really long stretch. And there's talk of future careers being more contract-based. I remember seeing a CBC documentary on that. So is that the way that you see things going? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think actually you talked earlier about Jenny Blake's book, uh, Pivot, and, and she talks a lot about this, that, you know, the the world of work has changed, right? Um, you know, my mom was a teacher. My dad was a city planner. They bo- both worked, you know, for the city or the school board for 25, 30 years and then retired, right? Like that's just the way that wa- it was. My husband's family were librarians. They worked in the as a library librarian for 30 years and then retired. That's not the way it is anymore right? People are going to be constantly changing careers. I, I think just, you know, the way things are going with technology and everything else and and people wanting to work from home and, and the millennials coming in looking for more meaning and more flexibility, the way that we have historically worked is going to continue to evolve. So yeah, for sure, that's, that's a big component of how we're working. It's going to be more project-based, I think. People are going to be taking on projects or contracts versus, you know, kind of one, one thing that you do for your entire career. Mm-hmm. So given that, what do you think are the skills that are the most important for women or frankly anyone to master for this kind of career track? Okay, so in terms of what skills... I think it's really important that people master as they navigate this new world of work. It just really comes down to having, you know, we've talked a lot about entrepreneurship today, but even if you're not an entrepreneur and you work in a company, it's really important to be, to think like an entrepreneur, which means that you, you really own the brand of you. And so that means, you know, this isn't really about personal branding per se, but it's about really anchoring in where are my strengths, where are my skills, what do I value, and being able to use that in any type of work situation. Because I, as I think we're going to start to step into more project-based work and we're going to be pivoting from one role to another, you're going to have to really know yourself well to know what, what you bring to the table and what you bring to any project at any given moment. I also think there's a big piece around adaptability uh, that we've, you know, I've already touched on, which is just being able to go from one thing to the other and being able to kind of work in flow with that, as opposed to uh, being really rigid in your thinking and, and, and assuming that you can get into one place and stay there indefinitely and somebody else will carry you along your career path. You know, being adaptable means that you can navigate whatever the external world throws against you because you're really, really solid and clear on what you know, what's true for you from an internal perspective. And that also touches on resiliency, right? Being able to be resilient uh, when when things change, right? And I think we're going to just see more and more and more of that. Uh, acro- you know, we're seeing a lot of that right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, as things change politically and, uh, and across the globe. So being able to be resilient and having those skills, which, you know, comes down to having things like a mindfulness practice, whatever that looks like for you, whether that's, you know, exercise or meditation or journaling or whatever, it doesn't really matter what the tool is. It's more about um, kind of having that calm, centered, grounded place within yourself to adapt and be resilient to change. Um, And then it's about navigating uncertainty, right? There's going to be a lot of uncertainty moving forward. And so adaptability and resiliency come into those, just knowing that there is no sure thing anymore. Um, And so, so that the uncertain path is kind of the new path ahead. And it makes it a really hard time, I think, to be a parent in guiding your children in what they do after high school. Because I, I, what I don't think has changed is I don't think, I say this because I've got a colleague who has a 16-year-old daughter in grade 11 and, you know, she's being encouraged to figure out what she wants to do afterwards. I don't think that pressure for youth has changed. I think there's still, what do you want to do? What is that degree? 
you know, try and figure out your job path. So if we want as parents, we want as parents to teach adaptability, resiliency, and entrepreneurial mindset. But what, what are you, what's your approach going to be when your kids get to grade 11, grade 12? Yeah. Oh, well, <laughs> uh, I mean, it's a really important question. Uh, you know, part of it is about equipping them with the skills na- even now, as early as now, around how to navigate when things don't go exactly the way they think they're going to go. Like mm-hmm. just some of those those skills. So I can be working on those now. That that doesn't have to wait until university days. Um, naturally, as a coach, uh, I'm going to be trying to constantly pull out and help them identify where their strengths are. You know, we talked about this already. So I remember being in high school and having that talk around what to do next and, you know, starting university and going like, I have no clue. Um, I really, I didn't have that uh, obvious career path the way some people did. Most people don't, but you know, some know they want to be engineers. I didn't know that. But nowhere, nowhere in any of the conversations did anybody say to me, you know what we've really noticed about you, Steph? You know, you're really strong here and here. Here are some possible ideas of of how you could amplify those strengths in a career path. Here are some options. I didn't know. For example, I have a communications degree. I didn't even know that existed when I was in high school. Yeah. I, I And my uh, understanding of entrepreneurship was so limited. I, I don't even know if I even really understood what that meant. So. So, you know, part of my job as a parent is to really help them understand what's really important to themselves, where their strengths are, how they can capitalize and maximize those strengths rather than worrying about where the areas are they're not as strong. Like I just, I don't believe in that philosophy of playing to the weaknesses. I believe in playing to the strengths. So that's going to be a big part of it. And then help them see the breadth and scope of what's available to them. And of course, naturally, I'm going to be coming at it from, listen, if you don't see anything in the marketplace, you know, from a job, quote, job standpoint that fits who you are, then create your own path, right? This now more than ever, you know, the barriers to entry to be an entrepreneur are so small compared to the way they used to be that, you know, if they if they have a problem they know they can solve, I'm going to encourage them to go out and try and solve it on their own. I think that's a totally viable path now. And more and more, um, more and more people are, are starting to step into entrepreneurship as, a, as an alternative way to work. No, I think that's fantastic because it's, yeah, I definitely felt that pressure when I was in university. But one of the things I did during university was to experiment and, Mm -hmm. you know, try different internships, find, like create my own internships, just, you know, to find, to contact an organization that I wanted to work with and ask if I could shadow them. And more often than not, I found that things I thought I wanted to do were not going to be a good fit for me, but was better to try out through an internship than to, you know, spend three, four years on a degree to find out that that wasn't the right fit. You know, I, I got to jump off of that because um, one of the things that I did similar to you was you, I decided I did decide I wanted to go down the communications path. And I remember being in a job interview. I, you know, I was still in school. My dad had set it up through the city. <laughs> like It was one of those. I get into the interview at like the interview started at nine. I got into his office. I think it was at 855. 
he said, you know, he asked me a couple questions and then he said, okay, show me your experience. Like, show me your writing samples. And I said, well, you have my resume. <laughs> like, that's all I had. And I was back in my car at 8.59. Like, oh, no wow. Time. It was the shortest interview ever. And it was in that moment that I said, okay, like, I felt awful. It, it was really embarrassing. But I said to myself, okay, listen, either you go down a different career path or you go get some experience. Yeah. And it was that day that I called a bunch of nonprofits and landed at the Red Cross. And I so I volunteered in their public affairs department. I eventually then got a job in their public affairs department. But I did a ton of volunteer work because that was a value of mine around contribution. Um, but it also allowed me to totally use my skills and develop my skills. And to your point, see what I liked and what I didn't like, what I wanted to do, what I didn't want to do. It was, you know, as opposed to kind of pursuing this long path and hoping that was going to be it. Yeah. No, I think volunteering and internships are great way to great ways to go about it. Yep. When there's more work than there are hours in the day, what is your top advice for productivity, whether you're a leader, an entrepreneur or working in a big company? So in terms of productivity, I mean, I, I love this stuff. I, I eat it up. It's just an area of interest for me. But what I will say to you is that, and I talked about this in that podcast you were referring to yesterday, um, that I recorded yesterday, is that there is no one right way to be productive. Everybody has to find a path that's going to work for them. Um, and so, you know, for some people that means getting up early for other people, that means something totally different, right? So everybody's going to have to find that blend. But what I will say, bar none, one of the core, uh, core skills you need to master, whether you are working in a job or where you, whether you're, uh, starting your own business or whatever it looks like is to allocate time for focused work. And that is that head down, working on some or on something not just in something deep work. and so in business yeah deep work exactly Cal Newport talks about this in his book deep work which is a great book and it's just really about this idea of you have to be you have to take control it's back to that entrepreneurial piece where you're the you're the owner you have to take control of some portion of your time to do the stuff that actually matters because if you are only spending your time doing busy work whether that's in a job to somebody else's agenda or whether it's in the business to the client's agenda or all the scattered stuff that needs to happen and yes it needs to happen but if you never find time to work on the stuff that actually drives growth or meaning or impact then you're you're just going to spin indefinitely. So finding that time, I, you know, I call it in, in the business world, I call it CEO time. I encourage people to actually carve it out, put it in their calendar like they would a client appointment or a, an important meeting. And, you know, you have to figure out when that time's going to work for you and how much you can allocate each week. But that is just absolutely critical. Without that, you know, you're just going to keep doing the same busy work over and over again and kind of keep getting the same results. That's great. I would also add um, your pro project plan is a, has been a huge boost to my productivity, I have to say. I oh, actually good. worked through it for launching the podcast. And while I you know, don't meet every goal, it's made me far more productive because I've been able to map it out. So we'll definitely link to that in the show notes so that everyone else can access it too. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm glad to hear. I mean, and that the, the two go hand in hand, right? Yeah. So if you, you have to map out the time to actually make it happen. And then what happens for a lot of people is they, you know, they have an idea about something or a project they want to bring to fruition. Um, but they they just see it as, you know, there's a, a saying around how do you eat an elephant? 
one bite at a time, right? But they yeah. look at the elephant and they go like, ah, how am I ever going to get there? And you just have to break it down and reverse engineer it. And that's what that tool is designed to do. Yeah, great. Okay, well, then we're just going to move into some of the rapid fire questions as we start to wrap it up here. So these are the standard questions that we ask at the end of every Girl Tries Life podcast interview. Okay. So what are the things or the projects that get you really fired up and excited? Do you mean in my business or just generally? Generally. Okay. So, I mean, work always gets me fired up, but I, uh, I'm i working on some new projects right now because I am a multi-passionate entrepreneur. And right now, because of what's happening in the world, I am really engaged and interested in, you know, how we can start to use our voices and speak up for injustice. Uh, and so I've started a, a side project called Both and More. Uh, it's bothandmore.com. And it's just me exploring curiosity, my curiosity. So it's the stuff that doesn't really fit in my business, uh, but just really about what's going on in the world, what's important, and and just being an explorer along with my audience around uh, how do how do we how do we you know care and contribute and uh, be meaningful you know human beings in the world when we're navigating so much uncertainty and change. So that is totally what's getting me fired up. Right That's now. a really awesome product. Do you mind if we share that link with our listeners? No, of course. It's really it's really early days. There's not a ton on there. Um, my goal right now is to send out a weekly uh, email that's curated with articles and resources that I'm really learning from. So it's not me kind of be coming from a place of, yeah, here's, here's the solution. It's just me navigating that and sharing that. Yeah. No, I think you're right. It's definitely uncertain times and everyone's trying to figure out right now how they move forward, what's the next totally. step kind of thing. Exactly. Yep. What is the most inspiring book that you have read in the past couple of years? That is, how can you ask? I know, I know. Okay, <laughs> two, three. Okay, three. <laughs> okay, and I'll go through them really quickly. So okay. Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. Oh, I love uh, it. Yeah, required reading for any creatives around kind of how to navigate being creative in the world with fear alongside for the ride. Um, the second one is Die Empty by Todd Henry, which is kind of at the end of your life. What do you want to, you know, the idea is that you die empty, like you, you've you put out into the world the stuff that matters to you. You haven't kind of withheld it and kept it inside. Um, and so I love that book. I love all his books, but that's my favorite. And then the third one is Essentialism by Greg McCowan, I believe is how you pronounce it, which is really about uh, getting focused on the stuff that actually matters and letting go of everything else that's just extraneous, that doesn't really add value, and how when you operate from a place of that kind of focus and prioritization, what you're able to make happen in contrast with trying to, trying to manage it all. So those three have been, I mean, there's a million more, but those yeah. three are ones I, I actually read every year. They're really good uh, reminders for my work. I had heard about the Todd, uh, the Die Empty book. I haven't heard of the last one, so I'll definitely have to check it out. Yeah, it's, it's wonderful. So I would love it if you could share with us your favorite quote and maybe why it's your favorite quote. Uh so my fate, I have lots, but my favorite quote is from George Eliot. And he said, it's never too late to be what you might have become. And I love that quote because I love the idea that uh, at any point we can step into who we're meant to be and that it's, you know, it's an ever evolving process, but there is no, you know, short of being dead, <laughs> there's no time limit on when we can really step into that. So, you know, sometimes we can get into that place of, you know, I've missed the boat, I've missed the opportunity, I'm too old, I'm too, you know, all those things. And, and I just always come back to it's never too late to be what you might become. 
You know, Vera Wang didn't sell her first dress or design her first dress till she was in her 40s. Oprah, you know, didn't become Oprah till well into her 30s. You know, like this yeah. happens. We have this idea that it has to happen right out of this, you know, this early stage. And it often doesn't look like that. So it's, yeah, I love that quote. I love that both personally, but also as a coach to be able to encourage others. That's fantastic. Yeah. Absolutely. What is the best life lesson that you've ever learned or piece of advice that you've been given? So I actually recorded a podcast episode on this uh, way back in the early stages of my podcast, which was the best piece of advice I ever got, which I know sounds really simplistic, but it was when you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. And that was really profound for me at the time because I was, you know, working a full-time job, volunteering like crazy, going to school. I was doing a whole bunch of things. And somebody said that to me, a mentor and a, a friend said that to me. And I had never thought for a second about what the cost was of all of the yeses I was saying. So I kind of thought like, you know, a committee would say, can you start volunteering on Wednesday nights? And I would look and say, well, I, I don't have anything on Wednesday nights. So sure. And I would say yes. Um, but what I re didn't realize, and then I did after she said that to me, is that what I was also saying no to was I was saying no to maybe going to the gym or I was saying no to having a relaxing evening where I could recharge or meeting with friends. So just because my schedule didn't have anything in it, I was still saying no to something else. And that has, I haven't always lived by that uh, advice, but I try to remember that, especially when things get really, you know, frenetic and crazy around, you know, when I'm saying yes to say something, I'm saying no to something else. So if I say yes to this, I'm saying no to spending time with my kids. Or if I'm saying yes to this, you know, coffee meeting, I'm saying no to working on a piece of content for my audience. And that, that really helps anchor me in what's most important. And that must be a really tricky one, I'd imagine, for a lot of your clients as they're building up their businesses. What, how the, saying yes to things does mean that things have to fall off and making that, that tough decision. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and that's the skill you have to constantly learn as an entrepreneur, because as we talked about earlier, there are always more things to do and more ideas to explore. Um, and you have to constantly be deciding around, will this drive this thing forward or is it just busy work? Yeah. So what does it mean to you to live your best life? Uh, this is a great question. I, I mean, there's a million different answers I could come to. But for me, at the core of it, it comes down to contribution um, and alignment. So contribution is about how can I make an impact? How can I be of service? You know, and that's that extends beyond work, although obviously that's part of it. But, you know, contributing to my family, contributing to my kids, contributing to my community, contributing to my clients, contributing to myself, contributing to the, the world, you know, that's a really strong anchor for me. If I feel like that's not happening, I, I'm not feeling so good about things. I'm not feeling like I'm really living my best life, um, which plays into the other one around alignment. And alignment is just that I am living in accordance with my values and what's important to me. I am, uh, if, if I feel like I'm off the mark on that, if I'm doing a bunch of stuff that doesn't actually, you know, sync up with what's really important to me and what's really important to our family, I know I have to make some changes pretty darn quickly. Otherwise, I'm going to, I'm not going to be feeling so good about things. So those are the two big ones for me. I love it. Thank you so much, Stephanie. And thank you for joining us on the podcast. Well, thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening, and I can't wait to catch up with you guys on Monday for our weekly Motivation Monday episode. Today's show notes can be found at girltrieslife.com forward slash podcast forward slash 22. 
As always, if you're able to leave a review for the Girl Tries Life podcast on iTunes, I would so greatly appreciate it. Reviews help other listeners to find the podcast, and it helps me to understand what content you're loving and where we can make some adjustments. Finally, I'd love to see how you're living your best life. So share your photos on social media with the hashtag Girl Tries Life, and I can't wait to see where you're up to. Have a fantastic week, guys, and I will see you on Monday. Bye.